0: Welcome to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. In today's episode, we will be discussing about the impact of COVID-19 on the grocery retail landscape, particularly in emerging markets. Uh, and of course, we will uh, draw some insights about what has happened in the globe, but more in Latin America. Um, there's probably no need to recap what uh, we have experiences throughout these years, difficult times of uh, 2020, 2021, and now 2022. But let's uh, talk about uh, a few key points. So uh, the COVID-19 hit China on December of 2019 and quickly started to spread across the globe. Due to that, countries imposed several restrictions to to mitigate the, the spread of the virus. So they imposed uh, lockdowns, uh, movement and transport uh, restrictions, uh, other restrictions in terms of of um, um, the stores, hygiene measures, among others. And uh, the response was uh, extremely varied uh, by country and by region uh, with important shifts over time, adapting again to the different like, waves of, of the virus. Uh, perhaps,
1: Rafa, you can tell us a bit
0: more about what has happened in Latin America.
1: Yes, of course. So in Latin America, we indeed saw uh, very different responses from the, from the different uh, countries. Uh, you can think, for instance, of Nicaragua or Brazil at the beginning of, of the pandemic uh, who had a very uh, slow response to, to the virus. Uh, Jair Bolsonaro, many of you may remember, uh, was quite a bit uh, on the news on, on those days. Uh, and in the case of Nicaragua, uh, with you know really, really late uh, restrictions uh, coming from the government, uh, there was a, this famous parade that was organized, Love in the Times of COVID, which is probably uh the the worst idea that you could have at the time but uh, nevertheless that was the only measure that the government took in the early days uh and on the other hand you have countries that reacted very strongly and um, there's the the example of peru or the example of argentina uh where maybe uh, m- many of the nationals uh, from that country were not even allowed to to come to their country for a few days right uh, now the economies were very harshly impacted. Uh, most of the countries lost between five and ten percent of their GDP in 2020. Uh, there was soaring unemployment and poverty in, in that year. Um, so, for instance, you can think of Peru dropping more than ten uh, percent of their GDP. And then there there was, uh, you know, very different rates at which the governments were investing in order to. Uh, escape from the challenges that COVID was, was posing. Um, and in the end, what happened is that Latin America was disproportionately impacted by COVID, not just uh, on the economic side, but also on the health side uh, with uh, today close to 1.6 million uh, official deaths uh, registered, which is 28% of the global deaths. Uh, whereas uh, Latin America only has 8.4% uh, of the population. Uh, worldwide. So perhaps you can tell us a bit of uh, the impact that COVID had on retail operations across the globe.
0: Sure, Rafa. So, um, this setting uh, triggered some changes in the shopping behavior and, uh, of course, in the store operations, you know, to adapt to these restrictions and also to the new needs of, of uh, consumers. So at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we experienced uh, and observed these uh, panic purchases that uh, were very varied uh, in terms of the, the different types of SKUs per, um, <laughs> per nationality in different countries. But, but- but yeah. really
1: concentrated in the toilet paper
0: category. I know, I know that was hilarious. Maybe in Europe, I, I saw some memes about that, um, <laughs> and also less uh, frequent visits um, to to the stores, to offline stores, uh, with bulk purchases. You know, to uh, buy buy to store. You know, goods, um, and these uh, probably was. Uh, because of the capacity constraints, both in the offline, um, which means that in the the supermarkets, for instance, there was a maximum occupancy. So uh, this also triggered or led to an increase in the visits uh, from consumers to nanostores, becoming a very safe uh, place to buy daily goods. And in terms of the online also, we observed some, um, let's say, um, I, I don't know if I can, uh, um, uh, uh, name it as, um, capacity constraints, but, uh, limited infrastructure, let's call it that way, because many companies were not prepared for this, right? So, um, due to this, we also observed, um, uh, an increase in digitization and not just like, uh, apps and, and web apps, but other types of initiatives, uh, like, You know, these uh, uh, ordering by phone or by SMS and other innovations such as as home delivery by different types of formats, not just the supermarkets, but also uh, companies like the case of Justo in Mexico or um, other initiatives like Tienda Cerca, which was developed by AB Web in order to create this portal where you can, as consumer, go and check uh, which nano store is close by and then connect via WhatsApp. You know, and um, in the case of Peru, for instance, also these open air markets, which uh, which also helped uh, mitigating, you know, the impact of the of the pandemic while ensuring the flow of goods to all consumers.
1: Yes, and we also saw some changes. Uh, let's say not just within the store operations, but also within the entire supply chain. Um, you know, early in the pandemic, with so many continuity measures, for instance, like uh, the pri- prioritization of certain SKUs within the assortment, uh, in, in order to to be able to dedicate that that uh, capacity, that production capacity, um, and and these were led as a result of of both demand and supply shocks throughout the pandemic. Uh, We also saw the emergence of solutions to to support key suppliers, for instance, for the use of trade credits. Uh, We saw rapid capacity expansion across the globe. And there's a couple of very uh, well-known examples with Alibaba and JD.com massively expanding capacity in China and uh, indeed digitization also throughout the supply chain in order to uh, facilitate the flow of goods. Uh, We can think, for instance, here, again, uh, thinking of AB InBev of the uh, Beast platform, uh, which um, is used by uh, stores to order from AB InVev. Um, now, what's interesting is that most of this knowledge really comes from online and modern channels, and particularly from developed countries. Uh, there's little data available, particularly on what happened on the traditional channel within emerging markets. Uh, whereas that's the the largest retail channel across the globe and and where most of the people are are still um, buying their goods. So we have decided to invite Juan Manuel Medina, who is an expert uh, on the traditional channel in Latin America to walk us through some of the changes within the retail landscape that took place in Latin America with a particular focus on the traditional channel. So how about if we go there? Yeah, let's do it.
0: Very good. So uh, welcome back to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. Uh, For today's episode, we have invited the founder of MAKO. Uh, MAKO is a company dedicated to collect and analyze uh, data, especially from the traditional channel in emerging markets uh, across several countries in Latin America. Welcome,
1: Juan Manuel. Thanks, Camilo. So I was wondering uh, whether you could tell us, uh, you know, throughout the different stages, and sort of trying to draw a timeline uh, from the pandemic. Let's say fr- from the early days, uh, where there was the uncertainty, whether there was anything that was going to happen, uh, to what we are living now. Can you tell us how the uh, grocery retail market has shifted in Latin America as a result of COVID?
2: Yes, absolutely, and. Uh, uh, um... You can imagine what this means to us because we uh, have a a very huge field force. And and, uh, when it started the lockdowns, it was, I don't know, we we were very uh, worried about the situation. And we started understanding the dynamics of the situation. Suddenly, and it was, we were very lucky that probably three months after the the lockdown, in, probably in March, April, May, by the end of May, we had the opportunity to start operations again with our teams on the field, with all the protection, all the conditions uh, to protect our 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 teams. But this was a decision the decision that we had the opportunity to 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 talk with the CPGs, talk with the with some government areas in order to realize that honestly we need to take the pulse and we need to track the situation because there, there were also a problem which was uh, probably that the stores get out of stock of the basic categories and, and this could bring another type of problems in, in during these uh, uh, times. So when we Went out after those three months and when we went out to the field, we started seeing tons of changes in the behavior of the stores and the behavior of the shoppers. One that I remember the most and that really uh, caught our attention was the uh, how the shopper uh, started to choose bigger sizes inside the categories under under brands. Bigger, bigger, bigger sizes. They start developing uh, items and SKUs that have never became in, 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 in uh, before important to those categories, but were bigger, more rice, more soft drinks, a bigger size of soft drinks, because they didn't want to travel to a store many times because of the they were so afraid of the COVID and all this stuff. At the same time, we start understanding. As, as the time goes on and on and on and as we move forward during the year, during the 2020, we start seeing a change in the portfolio of the store. And suddenly some stores start to increase in product in, in, in SKUs and items in categories like alcoholic drinks, for example, whiskey and all that stuff. And, 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 and sometimes not only increasing SKUs, but in premium levels, premium levels. So, and everything probably this is uh, some of the insects that we will uh, uh, at some point was was indulgency indulgency. Everyone was in their houses with these lockdowns, and they need sometimes indulgency, and they start investing in some of these items. Mm. Uh, later at the end of twenty twenty, when everything when when everything start to we, we get. Used to this situation, and what we start to see is that the impact of the lockdowns start to arise and start to see on the uh, on the people of the socio-economical uh, levels, the, the low, lowest socio-economical levels, the lack of money, the lack of money, the lack of employment, the lack of uh, opportunities to, to, to bring money to their houses. Start seeing, and we start seeing some other behaviors, which probably one of them, the one that I remember most, was that they increase the time of the visit, the frequency. They uh, they they uh, diminish the frequency in which they visit the the mom and pops on the supermarkets, the supermarkets, and we start seeing some that that some transactions, for example, after. After before the pandemic, uh, the the investment or the of the spending the spending inside the stores during the day, a.m. and p.m. during the uh, uh, during the day was very I don't know why, very, very dispersed. But by the end of the 2020 and and, and probably in the first, first quarter of 2021, what we start seeing was a behavior that most of the spending, probably, if I don't get me wrong, but 50% of the spending, 55% of the spending, start doing it at 5 p.m. in the afternoon, 6 p.m. in the afternoon. When we try to figure out why this was going on, what what was the, the reason for this to happen, we start to see that the shopper didn't knew if they were going to have money during the day. They start, I don't know, like starting to, to work on a uh, on a daily pay, something, I don't know, they start selling some things on the street or they start uh, 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 working again on their taxi or whatever, but they didn't knew if they were going to have money. So the spending concentrates at, at the end of the day when they, already knew if they were going to have for the breakfast and the lunch and the dinner uh, uh, the next day. Mm, I remember those types of behavior, the pandemic was, blew blew our mind in in everything that happens. And at last, I would like to highlight something that happens that was was very, very difficult for everyone. uh, And and I'm taking in consideration in this part, CPGs. Every single database, Got, got got destroyed. Every single sample got destroyed because everything changed. A bakery became a I don't know a, a mom and pop um, a supermarket a small supermarket became a bar or a, a beer and, and holes and, uh, changed totally their 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 portfolio. So. This was very very difficult for the CPGs because imagine what, how they depend on these uh, databases that they build during the during all this time. It was very very difficult for them to. Of course,
0: and um, in that sense, uh, what changes did you observe? You know that CPGs implemented in their commercial operations uh when visiting uh this type of uh mom and pop stores well we know that there are pre-sales or van sales right the pre-sale that you know that there was an agent goes makes the the or takes the order and then um one day after or maybe the same day um a freight vehicle distributes the goods and the van sales that they have already goods in there so so uh in that sense what what changes uh, did you observe from the CPGs that
2: uh, you work with? Uh, I remember that this was very difficult times. I remember the out-of-stock, and the out-of-stocks were produced because they couldn't arrive to stores, and it totally broke break the, their, their, their logistic chain. And uh, It was terrible, terrible for them, and they started experiencing the lack of sales, the lack of sales, So uh, what I saw was a very, uh, I would say, very um, bold moves, very bold moves. Uh, And they start using, uh, for example, WhatsApp and another kind of of communication, channels of communication, in order to uh, make available their products. And that's what they begin. That was was uh, something that we saw at the beginning, and that, uh, was that seed that then became solutions, a more sophisticated solutions, and probably you are familiar with some things, than some 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 kind of platforms and applications that everyone start uh, uh, putting on 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 the hand of the stores. This is very challenging because at the end uh, the adoption of the technology is a very very difficult process in this type of uh, uh, environment, but uh, it, it keeps amazing me and surprising me that the the evolution and the transition and the digital transformation that the child suffers is not enough yet. It's not done yet. Uh, I think that we are on a beta, uh, still on a beta uh, stage. Uh, there's tons of things. To to uh, increase and bring sophistication to the proposition position of the of the traditional channel, but this was the the, the 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 conditions, the perfect set of conditions in order to this type of disruption to arrive. Um, uh, I can I, I cannot explain everything that they have done, um, and um, what they did, but uh, if something happens, is that the the there is a change of mind, a uh, 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 particular uh, identification of the new opportunities that this channel offers to us. And is optimization, efficiency, digital transformation, and everything is going on right now. Uh, from my perspective and my humble opinion, I think that it's still on a beta stage. There is a lot to learn in order to um, bring to the table a most sophisticated value proposition to develop the traditional retail, But everything is right now set to to, to do it.
1: Amazing. So uh, something else that I wanted to ask, Uh, talking to several CPGs, uh, they were telling us that early on in the the days of the pandemic, uh, there was a huge shift in the market uh, with a lot of the stores uh, going out of business and, and, and new stores appearing, especially let's say in areas where there used to be uh, many offices, uh, several of these stores uh, had to close, right? Because um, you know the, the traffic was simply not there. Whereas, for instance, in residential areas, there was a boom uh, in the traditional market with, with stores appearing. I was wondering whether you also identified that, uh, and what other kind of structural changes did you detect in the market as a result of the pandemic?
2: Uh, absolutely, and, and, and also there is a change in the segmentation of the stores. Probably somehow because of the conditions and because of this radical change of conditions, uh, we saw how a C-type store, because of their characteristics, became a A-type in, a couple, in, in, in two three months, and it was because probably the other stores around them, around it couldn't face the challenge and couldn't support the situation. And this small store arises arises and became super important. Um, but obviously we started losing stores. It was very difficult. And uh, we experienced that in 2020. So yes, we experienced a diminish of the numbers of the stores. Yes, we saw it specifically in the smaller ones. The smallest ones of all, we saw these C-type kind of stores. Uh, they couldn't face the challenge. They they, they closed their, their doors and uh, unfortunately we saw uh, that a lot. But in 2021, uh, again start to arise this channel and start to open uh, uh, new points of sales. And again, the CPGs. Start giving incentives and helping, and putting the conditions, the 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 most uh, uh, perfect conditions, in order for them to to grow. Because the traditional channel is very important for CPGs, and they are not going to lose it. So they and they know that they have to play the game and they have to put their part on the equation in order for them to 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 help them. Or if not, they have to build new strategies to depend. On other type of channels, e-commerce, modern retail, hard discounts. And they from my perspective, I think that what the CPGs want is balance. They want a very balanced situation in which the traditional retail keeps existing and being important in their in their strategy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and you can see from there, from, from when you saw their strategies uh, and when you saw their communication, what they uh, start talking about was: we have to defend, we have to protect the traditional retail, and uh, that is not not by chance. So, Manuel, so, um,
0: are you suggesting that due to the pandemic, customers? uh are buying more from nano stores than from uh, other formats like supermarkets or convenience stores um is this is this something that you have observed uh are they buying more online and in addition how did the market share shift across these formats i mean from the modern to the convenience and to the traditional uh
2: at the beginning it was Pretty, pretty cool to see that there was no other option. Imagining the low-income neighborhoods in Sao Paulo, in in Colombia, what you have at hand is a uh, um, on top. So there, there was um, another option. Uh, it's, it's sad. Sadly, they couldn't uh, take advantage of the entire opportunity because there was another challenge. Out of stocks uh, and everything that, that we have been talking about. Um, I think probably that the winner is a, a, a big part of this is the hardest times, for example in Colombia. Uh, this doesn't mean that the nanostores are disappearing and this is the end of the nanostores. Please, please stop talking about that. It's not going to happen. This needs a huge change and challenge macroeconomica in, in a macroeconomical way. Uh, what happened is that the, the pie is divided differently. Uh, that the modern retail also have this challenge to increase their capabilities and sophisticate their value proposition in order to uh, bring more customers to their stores, and also a challenge for traditional retail in order to increase their capabilities. Probably the one that suffered the most was the the, the small supermarkets. Those those have experienced a huge challenge, but also is this force this this strong force that brings the CPGs to the table in order to save, to protect, and to help these kinds of stores. They can suffer and challenge, but that doesn't mean that the CPGs are going to let them die. They are helping them, and they are bringing solutions to a table, portfolio, etc., to uh, play the game, to play the game on the long run, on the, uh, and, and, and this is for the long run, not only for a couple of years. Uh, I probably I didn't mention the online, the, 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 the e-commerce on online. You have to be very cautious when you talk about online because this is super segmentated. You need to have uh, specific conditions in order to have access to, a, to 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 buy online. So of course we saw an amazing development of the of the e-commerce. Uh, and, and the online purchases, but we have to be cautious in order to the amount, the importance, the because the growths are impressive, but their participation is still very it, it is still. They are on a path, on a path, and obviously it's going to become super important in the future. And and they have their, their they collect their opportunity also during pandemic.
0: Okay, Juan Manuel. So finally, uh, well, you mentioned, of course, uh, 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 several uh, things that have changed in the different channels, uh, in the different formats. So which ones do you see remaining in the long-term?
2: Mm-hmm. In the long-term, I think that, mm-hmm. I have an opinion on this one too, and is that everyone is seeking optimization and efficiency. And that's going that's something that is going to drive the strategy in the future. And that brings to the table something that we cannot ignore anymore. And I'm not going to talk only from the perspective of the traditional retail, but from every single channel, and is the 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 this thing called omnichannel. The thing that we have to face is that a uh, the CPGs, the industry uh, is going to experience the challenge to build a strong strategy in many, many, many channels. Online, traditional, hard discounts, uh, modern retail, and you can name it. Every single day is appearing something new that challenges. This means that we can be certain of something, we can uh, mm, think about how the future looks like is continuous change. And we have to to embrace that situation because the traditional channel is changing. And right now I'm gonna talk about that perspective. I'm gonna talk about the other channels. Uh, that I'm familiar with but I'm not as expert as I'm mean, in the traditional channel but because the traditional channel is going to change and it's going to change hugely. It, it's going it's to be a complete transformation of the traditional retail and you can see it in India, you can see it in China and you can see it in Latin America too. We understood that the traditional retail is not a channel in which we, where the the other channels don't doesn't have to compete with the, the traditional channel. They have to embrace the traditional channel. And I saw an amazing uh, paper a uh, couple of, of months ago in which uh, Amazon and Walmart have this amazing strategy in India in order to embrace and in order to help and in order to develop the traditional retail. And India is a, a, a magnificent, uh, explanation and an example of what the traditional retail means or the traditional channel means 92% of the transactions and the value of the CPG, some their brands and their categories and the transactions goes into the traditional retail.
1: Thank you, Juan Manuel. So you um, you actually helped us do a little bit of advertising because our first episode is on the topic of the transformation that is taking place in India. So Please, by all means uh, everyone who is listening go check that Uh, but uh, with that we're going to uh, conclude today's conversation thank you Juan Manuel this has been really uh, super insightful conversation Uh, we're really excited to see um, how uh, your business continues to develop in the future and we wish you a lot of success uh, with that Uh, thank you so much once again for being here Rafael,
2: Camilo my pleasure it's been amazing to have this conversation with you today
0: Hi, and welcome back to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast, Uh, now in this section uh, with Professor Francois. Uh, But first, I would like to um, thank all our uh, audience across the globe. You know we have audience in the united states in mexico in dominican republic colombia bolivia uh, brazil in asia also in india in china in africa in four countries and across almost europe entire europe so thank you very much more than 20 countries here uh this is great um as it's our third episode. So please subscribe to our channel and comment on YouTube. And if you have additional comments, you can always drop us an email.
3: And, Very and good. Give us, and give us five stars, right? On Spotify and Apple. I think of we course, need professors. five stars, right? <laughs> yeah, so like, comment, follow us and
0: and stay in touch. Uh, the idea is to have you know a strong uh, community that is interested in discussing these topics and uh, thinking of where uh, there are also opportunities to uh, discuss here in our podcast. Um, so we just had a, a, a very interesting conversation with Juan Manuel from Mako. He's based in Colombia. And uh, he told us about uh, different like um, challenges that uh, the traditional channel has been experiencing due to the pandemic. Right. So, uh, Rafa, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit of uh, like the key points that Juan Manuel mentioned to start this conversation with Professor
1: François? Of course. So. uh... Yeah, we really had a fascinating uh, conversation where uh, I think we really learned a lot about the changes uh, in the in the nanostore channel and also across um, different different segments of the of the grocery retail market within Latin America. Particularly, one of the uh, points that really called my attention was uh, the fact that the traditional channel early on in the pandemic really became like the go-to market for many consumers in Latin America. Uh, I think Juan Manuel even mentioned that this was, in the end, a missed opportunity, uh, probably because of all the challenges that the CPGs were facing uh, with stores disappearing, stores reappearing, cash flow problems uh, from the stores. So Professor, I I wanted to ask, do you also think this was a missed opportunity and what could the stakeholders have done differently in order to to deal with these challenges?
3: Yeah, I don't know if everywhere it was a missed opportunity, right? But uh, definitely in some places, and uh, Juan Manuel and Maiko, they have uh, fascinating granular data on what's happening really in the store from a full assortment perspective. And, and we know that that in a number of countries, uh, at least initially, there was a bit of a hit in the market share, right? So, so Colombia, for instance, uh, suffered quite a bit. But we also know in in some other countries and some other CPG manufacturers, they really managed to to take advantage. Right. Um, For instance, um, we uh, we have been discussing in in uh, in in uh, Bolivia with 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 Delicia, uh, a consumer goods uh, supplier who also noticed exactly what Juan Manuel uh, said that. there was a massive shift so some stores a considerable part of the stores i think it was even like 25 or 30 percent closing down typically maybe stores that are in more commercial areas because people were not able to go out but simultaneously stores opening new stores opening either residential stores or or ambulantes right street vendors uh, opening and, and and companies like Delicia and I'm sure there were others in other countries who more or less overnight somehow able, were able to shift their sales. Now you're only able to do this if, for instance, you can shift from pre-sales to vent sales relatively quickly and then take advantage, right? So I think, I think that's a great uh, great example. Um, uh, remember uh, last time on the on the podcast, one of the previous episodes, we had Daniel Yu, and one of the things that Daniel uh, did during the pandemic is he worked with the government to issue uh, the vouchers that the government was giving to uh, to, to, to people that uh, they, were, they were extremely poor, lost their job, they got vouchers. These were electronic vouchers, and were being distributed. Through Soko uh, Watch's uh, system of uh, vendors, right? So you see Soko Watch and their vendors taking advantage of this. I think this is the second, a uh, really great example. Maybe the third one uh, is a bees, right? Uh, and uh, I think more or less bees has become now so famous. But maybe not all of our listeners across the gro- across the globe have been familiar with bees, but bees. Uh, started was a rollout by ABM to essentially digitize the ordering process of stores to ABM um to reduce uh, the level of contact that uh, was there between the pre-sales agent and uh, and the nano stores, and and uh, this has been a massive success where where millions of stores across Latin America actually moved. Uh, Transferred to, to online buying, and uh, Bev is now currently strategically developing bees also into a multi-vendor uh, platform. Right, so so you see the power essentially of uh, a changing behavior due to the pandemic that triggered this uh, digitization happening at a large scale, and in this case, even a market change happening. Uh, where consolidation, potential consolidation across multiple manufacturers is happening. So so I think there are definitely examples of manufacturers that have taken advantage.
1: Professor, now let's get into another important part of the equation, which is cash. Um, So Juan Manuel alluded to uh, there being substantial problems with cash flow uh, at the consumer level, right? So consumers um, suddenly uh, not having that uh, you know, um, Continuous flow of money that, that usually they would have because uh, unemployment was obviously a, a big challenge. Um, and so this somehow has, has to permeate eventually into the supply chain. So I wonder how you uh, think this affects the structure of the market and, and the entire supply chain. And how can nanostores contribute to addressing these challenges among poor consumers?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the entire effect of the cash flow essentially affecting the entire operation in the supply chain. This is one of the main uh, topics in our research. It's one of the areas where you are also working on, uh, on Rafa, at, uh, at Tilburg. And um, uh, so uh, essentially to, to sort of draw the big picture there um, is uh, what we are arguing is if the cash flow... In the supply chain can be enlarged. It has a disproportionately large impact on the operational efficiency of the of the suppliers. In this case, right? And uh, we do lots of quite detailed analysis uh, with our research partners, many CPG companies uh, on on this topic. Now, what makes this event particular is that um, at the at, uh, I would say relatively sudden and probably also for a relatively finite period of time, uh, certainly there was no cash at all, right? So so, so many people uh, could not go to work uh, since people are often paid by, uh, by the hour or by the day of daily wages. Um, uh, this implies that cash was not available. Uh, also uncertainty in cash, like Juan Manuel described, uh, well, in many cases was not clear at the beginning of the day, whether a consumer would have money at the end of the day, right? So so buying patterns uh, change. Now, if you you take that to a supplier, what the implication is, for instance, of this particular change in in, uh, cash availability, a very simple implication would be that if I arrive in the morning with my goods, I have a much higher uh, likelihood that I cannot do a delivery because I cannot be paid. Uh, right. At the same time, it's probably also an opportunity, right? So, so every challenge is an opportunity. And what we also know is that uh, this, uh, in a number of countries, for instance, Peru, uh, also Argentina, uh, this pandemic was also a major driver to digital payments by consumers, uh, right? So, so consumers having their wallets. Uh, Mercado Pago wallets, uh, like it's already quite common in uh, some parts of Africa and Southeast Asia, much of that is now gradually uh, entering into Latin America. And the pandemic also uh, served as a way to, to to put this in place. In the end, if the wallet is empty, there's also still no payment. There, We have to realize this. In the end, uh, the, the, the wallet is a digital cash, but if i have no cash i also have a zero and empty wallet um
0: but professor I, I was wondering how how can the different uh, stakeholders of this industry of this ecosystem can push forward the digital trans- transformation of of nanostores i mean the pandemic one was one let's say driver but but how can cpgs and the government push forward this because because there are many inefficiencies uh related to cash, for instance
3: yeah 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 so so if you if you look at digitization uh i I, I think we can uh essentially look at maybe three different elements. Um, one is one which we discussed already a bit earlier. this relates to everything around digital uh ordering. And the digital interface with the manufacturer, right? So also the digital payments uh, potentially happening uh, there. So I think all the digitization there, I believe, uh, we're trying to 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 collect evidence for this, uh, will lead to uh, substantial uh, operational efficiencies, uh, right? So uh, this type of um, uh, it's essentially by uh, by making transactions more uh, efficient. And also because I think through the ordering, we could potentially also make transactions smarter, right? Because if there's digital ordering, uh, essentially as a supplier, we're also collecting more information and potentially we could use this to actually improve the quality of ordering, right? And um, so so I think that's one way. I think on the, uh, the other end, uh, at the store, there is uh, the digital um, interaction with the customer. And, and the most prominent place, I think, there are digital payments by customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But you could also think of uh, services that uh, the stores are providing to the consumers, right? And much of that has been started by convenience stores, initially in Asia, if... Already, if you you would go to Taiwan or Japan 15, 20 years ago, you would see that 7.11 there is more of a service store than it is selling products, right? So you can do many digital services there. Uh, This has uh, moved into convenience stores in uh, more developing economies. We go to Indonesia, like Indomart, very similar concept, or OXO in Latin America. Where uh, services are provided like uh, buying top-ups for your uh, your airtime or or, or or data access, right or or maybe paying your uh, heat or uh, electricity bills yeah right? also the, the money transfers money transfers yes to 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 uh, to get to get money from uh, from family living abroad right mm-hmm. so so I think that's happening and but this is where a manufacturer can also strategically take initiative to help uh, nanostores providing those services. And uh, I think a very interesting example there in Latin America is is Bimbo, Grupo Bimbo, the largest uh, baker in the world, uh, serving more than 5 million uh, nanostores in Latin America, but also present, actually, by the way, in the U.S., uh, in in Europe and also in Asia. Um, And uh, they have... Uh, developed uh, a solution already quite some uh, time ago, originally under the brand uh, Red Cubo, now it's called BimboNet, where uh, they essentially enable nanostores to also offer these type of services that we were just discussing. Top-ups, um, uh, digital payments, these type of things. And and, and what we uh, what, what I believe is uh, that essentially, in the end, will strategically benefit the suppliers in two ways. One, uh, because essentially it will uh, increase the overall cash flow and income of uh, the store, uh, providing them with more opportunities to buy products from their suppliers, but also uh, in terms of their survival. Right. Uh, I think, as we know, the survival rate of these stores on an annual basis is not very high. Actually, the total number of stores in many countries is still increasing. But annually, there's quite a number that are turning over. So stores going bankrupt and new stores emerging. Uh, And. Uh, I believe this uh, can be positively affected by uh, having more of these services. And strategically, manufacturers can make these type of investments if they look as, at the store as essentially a virtual extension of their operation.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Tilburg University.